0: A ghost ship. Firefield is a little village. Lying near the Portsmouth Road, about halfway between London and the sea. Don't you just it by accident now and then? Call it pretty old-fashioned place. We who live in it call it home, but don't find anything very pretty about it. We should be. Sorry to leave anywhere else. Our minds are taking the shape in. The church and the green, I suppose. Events we never feel comfortable out of Fairfield. Of course the Cockneys, with their vast houses and noise ridden streets can call us rustics if they choose. But for all that Fairfield is a better place to live than in than London. Doctor says he goes to London, his mind is bruised with the weight of the houses. He was cockney born. He had to live there himself when he was a little chap, but he knows better now. You didn't only really laugh. Perhaps some of you come from London way. But it seems to me that a witness like that is worth a, a galleon of arguments. Dull. Well, you might find it dull, I assure you. I listened to all the London yarns you spun tonight. There's absolutely nothing on the business that happened at Fairfield. Because of our way of thinking and minding our own business. If one of your landers was sent down on a green and Saturday night, when the ghosts of the lads would died in the war, keep thrust with the lasses who'd lie in the churchyard, you couldn't keep being, help being curious and interfering. Then the ghosts would go somewhere where it was quieter. They must let them come and go. Don't make any fuss in the concrete occurrence. There are thousands of ghosts placed in all England. Where well, I've seen a headless man sitting on the edge of the wall, well, in Bull blind like the children playing about it, about it its feet as if it was their father. Take my word for it, spirits now know when they are well off as much as human beings. Still, I must admit that thing I'm going to tell you about was a queer, even for our part of the world, where three packs of ghost hounds hunt regularly during the season. A blacksmith's great grandfather is busy all night shoeing the gentleman's horses. Now that's a thing that wouldn't happen in London, because these interfering ways. The black says he lies up aloft and sleeps as quiet as a lamb. When he had a bad head, he shut it down to them not to make so much noise. In the morning, he found an old guinea left at the Ernville as apology. He wears it on his watch train now. I never get oh, now. I must get on my story. So if I start telling you about the queer happenings at Fairfield, I'll never stop. It all came of the great storm in the spring of 97, year that we had two great storms. This is the first one. I remember it very well, because I found in the morning it lifted to the thatch to my pigsty, the windows, windows, window, garden, as clean as a boy's kite. He looked over the hedge, window, widow, Tom, Tom Low, false widow that was, with true pudding with her nostriliums, with the daisy grabber. Aunt they watched her for little. I went down to the crotts and grapes to tell landlord, he is, she is said to me, landlord, he laughed, being a married man, ease with sex, come to that, he said, a tempest has blown, something in my field, a kind of a ship, I think it would be. I surprised at that, until we explained it was only a ghost ship and we would do no, no, do no hurt to the turnips. We argued that it had been blown up from the sea at Portsmouth, and then we talked of something else. There was two states down a passage, a big tree wind meadow. It was a rare storm. I reckon the wind had blown on ghosts all over England. Were coming back for the days after the frowned horses and footsore as possible they were so glad to get back to fairfield and some of them walked up the street crying like little children squire said his great grandfather's great grandfather had looked so dead beat since the battle of naseby he was an educated man what with one thing and another i should think was a week before we got straight again then one afternoon i met the landlord on the green he had a worried face i oh, wish you'd come and have a look at the ship of my field he said to me it seems to me it's leaning real hard on the turnips i can't bear thinking what the missus will say when you seize it i walked down the lane with him sure enough there was a ship in the middle of the field but such a ship was no man as it, seen all water for three hundred years let alone in the middle of a turnip field it all is all painted black and covered with carvings. There's a great bay window in the stern, for all the world like a square drawing room. There's a crowd of little black canyon on deck. And looking out of the portholes, she was anchored at each end, on the hot, the hard ground. Even I have seen wonders of the world and of pictures gods, but never seen anything to equal that. She seems a very solid for ghost ship. I said, seeing the landlord was bothered. Well, I shouldn't say it's betwixt and between, he answered, pausing it over, but he's going to spoil a matter of fifty turnips, and missy, she wants it removed. We went up to her and touched her side. It was hard as a real ship. How you know, these folks in England would call that very curious, he said. I don't know much about ships, Brighton, but I should think that ghost ships weighed solid two hundred tons. It seemed to me that she had to stay, come to stay. I feel sorry for the landlord, who is a married man. All the horses in Fairfield would will move out of my turnips, he said, frowning at her. Just then, we heard a noise on the deck. We looked up and saw a man come out from the front cabin, looking down at us very peacefully. He was dressed in a black uniform, cut with a rusty gold lace. He had great cutlass at his side, a brass sheath. "'I'm captain bluff for you rabbits? he said. The gentleman's voice put in for recruits. coats. he seemed to boat her rather far up the harbour. "'Harbour?' said the landlord. Why you're fifty miles from the sea. Captain Roberts didn't turn a hair. So much for that as that he said coolly. Well it's no coincidence. Anne was a bit upset at this. I don't want to be unable,' he said. I wish you wouldn't board your ship. In my field, you see my wife gets great store on those turnips. The captain took a pinch of snuff out of the green gold box. He pulled it out of his pocket and dusted his fingers with silk handkerchief, very genteel fashion. I only here for a few months, he said, but if testimony is my honest esteem, a passenger, you agree, good lady, I should be content with the weeks, words he'd lose of the great gold boats from the wreck of his coat and tossed it down the landlord. Then a the brush is red as a strawberry. Oh, i'm not denying she's from the jewelry, he said. But she's too much, art. Oh, she's too much for her or for a sack full of turnips. Indeed it was a handsome brooch. And the captain laughed top man, he said. It's full sell, or you deserve a good price. Say no more about it. Saying goodbye to us. Good day to us he turned on his heel went into the cabin. And then walked back up the lane, like a man with weight off his feet uh, in mind. Tembies would blown me a little bit of luck. He said, The missus will be back much pleased with please, that brooch. It better than back's so Miss Giddy any day. Ninety-seven was Jubilee year, the year the second Jubilee you remember. We had great doings at the Fairfield, though so we, we didn't much didn't have much time to bother about the good ship. Though everyone It wasn't way of meddling things that didn't concern us. said, saw his tenant once or twice, was hoeing his turnips. Past the time of day, Leonard's lady wore her new brooch to church every Sunday. We didn't mix much with the ghosts as of any time. All except for an idiot lad who was in the village, and he didn't know the difference between a man and a ghost. Poor innocent. Do you believe they ever Somebody told Captain Roberts why the church bells were ringing? and he hosted a flag, and fired off his cannons like a little Englishman. Tis true, the guns were slutted, and one of around, shot the earth, oh, old in Farmer Johnson's barn, but nobody thought much of that, such a season of rejoicing. It wasn't until the celebrations were over, we noticed that any, it was wrong in the fairfield, to soon we got a made me first, he told me first about it, Well morning, the fox and grapes, you know my great-uncle, he said to me. You mean Joshua, the quiet lad? I answered, knowing him well. Quiet, said the shoemaker indignantly. Quiet, you call him? Coming home at three o'clock in the morning, as drunk as a man's waking up with the whole house with his noise. Why can't it be? Well, it can't be Joshua, I said. I knew him, for he was the most respectable young ghost in the village. Joshua is, said jo- the shoemaker. Said the shoemaker. And one of these nights you find yourself out on the street if you ain't careful. This talk kind of talk shot me. I can tell you I didn't like to bear a man abusing his own family. I could hardly believe that a steady youngster like Joshua take and drink but just then in a book came in butcher in mean, in such a temper he could hardly drink his beer. A young puppy a young puppy he kept on saying. For some time before the shoemaker and I found out, talking about his own sister, fellow Sennach. Drink, said the shoemaker, hopefully. We had all, we all company, and our misfortunes, the butcher nodded grimly. A young noodle, he said, emptying his tankard. Well, after that, I kept my ears open. It was the same story all over the village. It was hardly a young man among the, all the ghosts of Hereford who didn't roll home in the small hours of the morning, worth for liquor. I used to wake up in the night hear them stumble past my house, singing outrageous songs. Worse of that was that we couldn't keep the scandal to ourselves. Folk of Greenhill began to talk of sudden fairfield and taught their children to sing the song about us. Sodon Fairfield, sudden fairfield, was no use for bread and butter. Rum for breakfast, rum for breakfast, rum for tea, rum for supper. We are easy-going in our village, but we didn't like that. Of course, we found out. where the young fellows went to get the drink. The landlord was terribly cut up that the tenant should have turned out so badly, but his wife wouldn't hear the parting of her parting on the poach. The poach, so she wouldn't give the captain notice to quit. But as time went on, things grew from bad to worse, and all hours of day you could see those rung reprobates sleeping off the village green nearly every afternoon a ghost wagon used to jolt down to the ship with a landing of rum although through the elder ghosts seemed to indica- indicate you to give the captain's hospitality to go by the youngsters would neither to hold, either to hold nor to bind so one afternoon when i was taking my nap i heard a knock on the door there, there was this Parson, looking very serious, like a man with a job before him. He didn't ought to give a relish. We're going down to my captain, but i the captain about his drunkenness in the village. I want you to come with me, he said straight out. I couldn't say I fancied the could make it much. Myself, I tried to pinch the Parson, as this, after all, there's only a lot of ghosts. It didn't matter very much. They're alive! Are you responsible for good contact, he said. And I am going to do my duty potter stop this code. Can you disorder? Are you coming with me, John Simmons? Simmons? I went, Parson. Being a persuasive kind of man. We drank down the ship as we approached her. We could see the captain testing the air on the deck. We saw parson he took off his hat very politely. I can't I can tell you relieved to find that he had proper respect for the cloth. Parson nodded to his salute, spoke out of, very stoutly, sir. Now, sir, I shall be glad to have a word with you. Come aboard, sir. Come aboard, said the captain. I can tell by his voice. He knew that we were there, why were we were there. Parson and I climbed up an easy kind of ladder. The captain took us to the great cabin at the back of the ship, where the bay window was. It was the most wonderful place you ever saw in your life. Full of gold and silver plate swords of jeweled scabbards curved Oak chairs, great chests they'd look, as though they're busting with guineas. A even them with surprise. Didn't make his head very head very hard when the captain took down some silver cups and poured us out a drink of rum. I didn't mind I didn't mind saying it changed my view of things entirely. There's nothing twist between about the rum. I felt that it was ridiculous to blame the legs for drinking too much of the stuff like that. You seem full of Fill my veins with honey and fire. Parson put the case squarely to the captain, but I didn't listen much to what he said. I was busy sipping at my drink and looking for the window at the fishes swimming to and fro the landlord's turnips. Then, it, just then, it seemed the most natural thing in the world it should be there, for always. Of course, I can see that it proved it was a ghost ship. And then, even then, I thought it was queer when I saw a drained sailor, sailor float by the thin air with his hair, a beard full of bubbles. it was the first time i seen anything quite like that at Fairfax Field? All the time was regarding the wonders of the deep, deep, parson, was telling Captain Roberts how there was no peace or rest in the village owing to the curse of drunkenness. What a bad example of youngsters setting an older ghost. Captain listened very tenderly, and then he put the word now, but as, then about the boys being boys and young men, sewing the wild oaks. But when Parson had finished his speech, he filled our silver cups and said to Parson with a flash, We shall be glad sorry, to hear here clerk of trouble anywhere where I have been made welcome. I will be glad to hear that I put to sea tomorrow night, and now you must drink of me, Pontius Voyage. So he all stood up and drank the toast of honour. And the other one was like hot oil in my veins. I let the captain show us some of the curiosities he brought back from the foreign parts. He was greatly amazed. Through so, oh, after laughter, I couldn't clearly remember what they were. I found myself walking across the terminus of Parson. The Parson, I was telling him the glory of the deep that i had seen from the window of the ship. He turned on me severely. If who are you, John Simmons, he said, I should go straight home to bed. It's a way of putting things that didn't occur to only man was parson. a parson, I did as he told me. Well, the next day he came to a blow. It blew harder and blew harder till eight o'clock at night. I heard a noise. I looked out in the garden. Dare say you won't believe me. It seems a bit tall even to me. But the wind lifted a fetch of my pigsty to the widow's garden a second time. I wouldn't, w- wouldn't w- wait to hear what the widow has to say about it. So I went across the green to the fox and grapes. The wind was so strong they danced along the, along on tiptoe like a girl on a f- fair. I put, when I got to the inn, the landlord had to help me shut the door. Seemed as though a dozen goats were pushing against it to come in out of the storm. It's a powerful tempest, he said, drawing in the beer. Oh, yeah, there's a chimney down at the green end. The funny thing all those sailors know about, about the weather, I answered, when well, the captain said he was going tonight, or well, he's thinking he could take a cupful of wind to carry the ship let's sea, but now he is, he is more than a cupful. Oh yes, said the landlord. It, tonight he goes to laugh. Mind you, oh, he wouldn't, he treat me handsome over the rent. I'm not sure he's a, a last to the village. I don't hold a degree of reverence to fetch a drink from London instead of helping local traders to get their living. Well, you, you haven't got any rum like he is, I said to draw him out. His neck grew red with, above his collar, afraid he had gone too far, for after a while he got his breath and had a grunt. German Simmons, he said, you come down here on windy night to talk a lot of fools talk. You wasted a journey, a journey. Well, of course, then I had to smooth him down, praising his rum, and heaven forgive me, swearing he's better than the captain's. But like any of that rum, no living lips had tasted some, some say mine and parsons, but somehow or other, I land Lennon round, and presently, you must have, you must have a glass of his best, prove its quality. Eat that if you can, he cried. He both raised the glasses to our mouths. I did stop halfway and look at each other in amazement, amaze. The wind had been blowing and howling outside, like an outrageous dog, all of a sudden turned and mel- made a of their to the crying boys of a Christmas day eve. Surely that is not my Martha, whispered the landlord, Martha being his great aunt, lived on the loft overhead. We went to the door and the wind burst it open, so the handle was driven clean into the plaster of the wall. We didn't think about it at a time, for over our heads sailing very comfortably for the windy stars was a ship that passed the summer in landlord's field. A portholes in our bay window were blazing with lights. There were noises, of singing and fiddling on the decks. He's gone, shouted the landlord, above the storm. You take half the village of him Or you can only nod and answer, not having the lungs like having lungs like bellows of lover. Morning, were able to measure the strength of the storm. Over and above my pigsty was a damage enough. Wrought in the village to keep me busy as busy. True is that true is that the children had to break down the no branches for the firing that autumn. Since the wind had strewn the wood, with all they could carry away, many of our ghosts were scattered on our board, but this time very few came back. All the young men had been sailed with the captain, nodding the ghosts, for a half-wrecked with the lad was missing. You reckoned that he had stowed away, perhaps shipped as a cabin boy, not knowing any better. And with the laminations of the ghost girls and grumbling of the families who had lost their an- an ancestor. The upset for a while. The funny thing was, it was the folk who complained most of the coming carrying songs of the youngsters, who made the most noise. Now they were gone, had any sympathy with the shoemaker or butcher ran about saying how much they missed their lads, made me grieve to hear poor, bereaved girls Calling their lovers by name on the village green nightfall didn't seem fair to me. They should have lost their men a second time or given up life in order to join them. As like as not, still not even a spirit can be forever, sorry forever. After a few months we made up our mind. The folk who sailed in the ship were never coming back. We didn't talk about it anymore. Then one day, I dare say, it would be, it would be a couple of years after. The whole business was quite forgotten. Who would come trespassing along the road from of a dark lad who'd gone away with a ship, without waiting till he was dead, to become a ghost? You never saw such a boy as that all your life, his great rusty cutlass, hanging to a string his waist, he tattled all over his fine colours. Not even his face looked like a gold ge- like sampler. He'd hang his handkerchief is a hand full of foreign shells, old-fashioned pieces of small money. Very curious, he walked up to the well to the well outside his mother's house and drew himself a drink so he'd have been nowhere in the particular. The was that he had come back as a soft-headed as he went. And try as you might, we couldn't get anything reasonable out of him. He talked a lot of gibberish about kill hielding and walking the plank, and grims murders, things which a decent sailor should not Know nothing about, as it seemed to me, that all his manners captain had been made more of a partner and gentleman a marrier, but a drawn sense of the boy was as hard as picking cherries off a crab tree. One silly tell, he had, had kept on drifting back to and hear him. You would have thought he was the only thing that had happened to him in his life. We were you at anchor? He said, another island called the Basket of Flowers. And the sea has caught a lot of parrots. We're teaching them to swear. Up and down the decks, up and down the decks. The language they used was dreadful. We looked up and down. Up and saw the master's Spanish ship. And outside the Harbor. outside the Harbor they did. So we threw the parrots in the sea. And sailed out to fight. All the parrots had drowned at the sea. And the language they used was dreadful. This is what the boy was. Nothing but silly talk. Or parrots you know asked about the fighting you never know, had a chance of teaching him better for two days he went away away again for two days he went away again and we haven't seen him have, hasn't been seen since there's my sorry to assure you that things like that are happening in Fairfield. all the time the ship has gone never come back and somehow people grow older you seem to think one of those windy nights she will be come selling over the hedges all lost ghosts of gold. Well, in she comes, she'll be welcome. There's one ghost, Lester, has never grown tired of waiting for Lester to return. Every night, you see her out on the screen, draining her poor eyes, her looking out, looking for the mask-lights among the stars. But even as you call her, I'm thinking you'll be right. Ellen's field, where a penny the worse for a visit? But you do say that since then the turnips have been grown